Now, this morning, we're going to continue what we've actually been speaking on on Sunday nights. And so far, we've been kind of stuck at the burning bush. And Moses was having trouble understanding all that God had for him and what he wanted him to do. You see, God said, Moses, I've seen the affliction of my people, and I want you to go be their deliverer. I want you to be my messenger. And Moses had some, we'll call them insecurities. And he looked at that bush and he said, but if I go, they're not going to believe that you sent me. Who should I even say sent me? And God said, Moses, when you go, you tell them, I am sent you. Because I am that I am. And God was saying in that bush, Moses, I'm everything you need. In fact, I'm more than adequate to meet your need. But Moses, finally, after much persuasion, gives in to God's request of going to Pharaoh. That's where we find ourselves in Exodus chapter 5 this morning. Verse number 1, Moses is finally doing what God's called him to do. He's confronting Pharaoh. Verse number 1 of chapter 5, the Bible says, And afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. Now what's amazing about following and being in God's will is that it does not completely remove us from obstacles. From difficulty and even a little friction every now and again. Moses is in God's will and he's doing everything that God's asked him to do. He says, Father, you let my people go because God has commanded it. But verse number 2, we find the obstacle. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Now, we, would, we could take the time this morning to read the rest of the chapter. But we're going to fast forward to the last two verses. But just understand this that through the entire chapter 5 here, Pharaoh continuously denies Moses' request and puts more and heavy burdens on the children of Israel. For instance, they're to make bricks, and they need straw to make bricks. And Pharaoh is so angered by Moses' request, he says, Moses, what I'll have them do is, I'll make them not only make the bricks, I'll make them find their own straw. And then they'll make it to where they'll have to do more labor with less supply. And they were unable to meet the demand. Look all the way now down to verse number 22. Moses, no doubt, is discouraged. But he comes to the Lord in the face of this conflict and in the face of this controversy. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Lord, Wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? Why is it that thou hast sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil to this people. Neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. 
when we are faced with difficulties in our life, one of the things that begins to come up in our heart and in our mind is questions. Questions about what's going on. Questions about what's God's plan. And, and most of the time I would say there's nothing wrong with questions. What's wrong is when we question God. Asking God has never been a problem. Uh, asking God a question has never been an issue. But questioning God and His sovereignty has. Look, this morning I, don't, I could exhaust many questions, but I want to eliminate three from your next trial. You see, you are either in a trial, just freshly coming out of a trial, or headed uh, right into the face of a trial. We face controversies and difficulties and obstacles all the time in the Christian life, but I want to eliminate three questions this morning. Let's have a word of prayer and ask the Lord's blessing on the sermon. Lord, I pray today that you bless your word. I pray that you would use this passage of scripture and the the material that I've prepared, that it would speak to the hearts of people in this room this morning. And every person that wants to be spoken to, I pray that you would, through your Holy Spirit and through the power of your word, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, what I've noticed in my few brief years of marriage is the most inquisitive person I've ever met is my wife. And I would probably say that the same is true for most husbands. Questions are coming when you get around your wife. I looked up some questions that wives should never ask their husbands so that we can eliminate some questions this morning that wives should never ask their husband. Now, this one wasn't even on the list, but I'll just go ahead and say this one. This is my own addition. We should ne- wives, you should never ask your husband, Do, does this dress look, make me look fat? I really began to ponder why they even asked this question. And I think I've come to the conclusion because there has yet to be a man figure out how to answer that question. And there has yet to be a woman who's figured out how they want their husband to answer that question. But I think it all boils down to this. I think that when your wife asks you that question, she's seeing if you're smart enough to be the first person to ever come up with a good answer to that question. But I just don't think there is one. So wives, don't ask your husband, does this dress make me look large? You ask the mirror in that case. That's a good place to look. One of the questions that wives should not ask their husband is, Honey, what are you thinking about? What are you thinking about? I love this man's explanation. He says, when you see us looking pensive, Seemingly pondering the mysteries of life, you just can't help yourself, can you? You simply have to know what we're thinking about. When we say nothing, you think we must be harboring some deep, dark secret. Actually, that's not at all the case. We're literally thinking about nothing. We can really do that. In fact, we do it all the time. Sometimes, don't ask your husband, what are you thinking about? Because most of the time, the answer is going to be a whole lot of nothing. Another question wives should not ask their husband is, are you really going to wear that shirt? What was your first clue? The fact that I put it on my torso? Obviously, wives have not been keeping up with the latest fashions and trends in the Bass Pro Shop's master catalog, so... If you just look in there, you'll see where I get my choice of wardrobe. 
How do you like my new haircut, honey? Wives, don't ask that question. You know why? Because every time we hate it. You know why? Because men don't like change. If you ask us two weeks after you get the haircut, we'll say, don't get it cut again because we like it now. Men just don't like change. So, wives, please stop asking that question. Number four, and this is probably my favorite, are you using my body wash and conditioner? First off, do you really want to know the answer to that? And second of all, since one is indulging in an energizing body cleanser with natural fruit extracts a crime, our forefathers sacrificed so that we can be free to gently wash away and exfoliate impurities from our skin without the drawing effects of soap. And number five, which paint do you like better, honey? Eggshell 212 or Eggshell 311? Wives, I'll answer for every man in this room, we could not care less. You know why? Because there is no difference between either of them. We're just picking one in hopes that it's the one you like. So just eliminate the question altogether. Pick the one that you like, because when it gets on the wall, we're not going to know the difference anyway. So hopefully this morning I've improved your marriage. If nothing else, if you learn nothing about the Bible, maybe we've helped some marriages this morning. You know, questions are good, and many times questions can be helpful and beneficial. But when we face conflict and controversy in our life, one thing that immediately prompts up is questions about the situation. Did you realize that you're simply one phone call away from a catastrophe in your life? Just this week I heard of a young man uh, around the age of 28 to 30 years old, healthy, in good shape. In fact, I think he was actually working out and passed away at the gym. Nobody expected it. Nobody ever dreamed that would happen. This morning, I know, I personally know a family who the parents are seated around the bed of their young teenage son as he sits in the bed without a heart, waiting on a heart transplant, but chances are that heart is never going to come. You realize, we're no different than these folks. The only difference between us is they've already received their phone call. And one car collision, one drunk driver, one situation, it just props up and smacks you right in the face. Now here's my question for you. What are the questions that are proper to ask and which ones should we already have settled in our own heart? This morning I want to take a look at three questions we can eliminate right off the top so that we don't have to fight the battle like Moses did. First of all, we don't have to question God's person. Look in verse number 22 of Exodus chapter 5 this morning. The Bible says, And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Lord, wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? Now let's be very careful to understand exactly what Moses is saying. Moses is not saying that the Lord had done evil unto the people. 
Moses understood, even at this time in his life, God cannot do evil. God cannot tempt with evil. But what this word means here is to do harm or to do injury to. So Moses was saying, God, how come you've called me on this task and it seems like every time I make any progress, something bad happens? You ever been there? You ever been there where something pops up and your first question is this? How could God allow this to happen? How could God allow... I'm trying to do right. I'm trying to be who I'm supposed to be. And it seems like as soon as I begin to make progress, something bad happens to me. You see, one of the things that secular atheists believe, they say, well, how could God allow all the evil to go on in this world. Oh, God's not allowing that. That's our choice. Uh, Men have chosen from the very beginning of time where God never planned for evil to be in this world. It was man's choice that put evil in this world. And it is still man's choice that continues to subject evil into this world. But man, I've been there in a situation where everything was good just a few minutes ago and now it seems like my world's turned upside down and, and... You are tempted to ask the question, God, what are you even doing? I want to look, first of all, the the fact that this is the fallacy of this question. When we ask this question, we simply have a misunderstanding of who God is. Oh, if Moses would just recall just two chapters ago, God said to Moses in the burning bush, Moses, I am. That entitled and that withheld everything saying to Moses, Moses, I am good, I am kind, I am loving, I have a plan for you. Moses, it's all going to work out. Moses, I am that I am. And Moses looks at God and says, God, why are you causing so much difficulty? God, why is so much harm being brought upon this people? You know what the Bible says about God's character? The Bible says in Psalm 107 verse 1, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, and His mercy endureth forever. God is good. It's simply His nature and His character. God is so good that He cannot do evil because His goodness limits His ability to do evil. God is good all the time. And while difficult circumstances may come to us, never has it ever been God's wrongdoing that causes them. I recall in my mind the story of Abraham. When God asked Abraham, and he said, Abraham, I need you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, and I need you to take him to a mountain, and I need you to there offer him to me. Well, could not have Abraham in his heart said, well, God, that seems like quite a controversial thing you're asking me to do. God, how could could you ask me to give my son? But Abraham didn't ask that question. Because Abraham fully well believed that if he made this trip, and if he did plunge that knife into the heart of his son, that God was good enough and strong enough and able enough to deliver Isaac back from the dead. What's amazing about that story is up until that point, there had never been anybody brought back to life. 
Abraham had so much faith in the goodness of God that he just said, if I will follow God wholeheartedly and if I will trust in God wholeheartedly, God will always be good even when times seem bad. Oh, the fallacy of that question. Did you know the Bible says that every good and perfect gift cometh from above? Cometh down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness. God is good, and everything that we've received in our life that is good comes directly from the throne of God. The fallacy of this question. I want you to notice this, the fragility of that question. When we begin to question God and say, God, how could you? God, what are you doing in my life? When we ask that question, you know what we do? We isolate ourselves away from God's providence in the situation. When we say, God, how could you? We are literally limiting God in our life and saying, God, you've brought me here. I think you're going to abandon me. But God never abandons His children. The Bible says, I have been young and I have been old, but I have yet to see the righteous forsaken. God loves His children and God wants His children to have strength. The Bible says in Psalm 46, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will we fear, uh, not fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, we can trust in our God. Oh, times will get difficult, but may we never be uh, convinced and, uh, and decide to question our God's person and our God's character in those times. Look, emotions change. Uh, situations and, and, and uh, circumstances, they're always on the change. You know the one steady constant through it all? is God. You know your friend can betray you? The Bible says there is a friend that sticketh closer than any brother. Did you know your family can disown, disown you? God cannot disown one of His children. There are no orphans with God. Oh, God is the one constant. God is the one steady. God is unchanging. He was the same yesterday. He was the same thousands of years ago. And He will forever be the same because He is our God and He is unchanging. He is always there for us. And the Bible says He hath promised He will never leave us nor forsake us. You can eliminate the question about God's person. Secondly, we can eliminate the question about God's pick. Verse 22, that's exactly the progression that Moses takes. He says, uh, Lord, wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? Notice his second question here. Why is it that thou hast sent me? I, I think that I'd probably be the most guilty of this question. God, why me? And all the people in this world that you could have done this to. Lord, why have you chosen me? It seems like there's people who would be far more qualified to handle these circumstances. Lord, it seems like there's people who are far more deserving to go through this than I. But we should never question God's choice in the matter. You know why? Because God always has a plan. I think of Job. Job had no idea the ramifications of the, the, the circumstances in his life. Remember what happens. The Bible says in Job chapter 1 that there came a day when the sons of God presented themselves before God. 
and, and Satan was in the crowd. And, and God looked at Satan and said, Satan, where have you been? What have you been up to? And Satan says, well, I've been going to and fro throughout the earth and up and down in it. And God says this, have you considered my servant Job? Oh, I don't even think God was saying, have you considered to tempt him? No, I think God was saying, what a bright and shining testament of a good man. He's saying, Satan, have you just stopped by lately and seen how good Job is and how godly he is and how he fears me and loves me? And this is what Satan says. Yeah, but does he fear you for naught? In other words, he says, yeah, but would he fear you no matter what comes his way? Would he fear you regardless of the circumstances? You've set a hedge of protection around him, and I can't do anything even though I wanted to. And God says, okay, Satan. Y'all remember the story, how it goes along, and Job gets bad news. And I can only imagine how the first news was received, but he gets bad news. And then before the period is placed on the sentence of the man who's given him the bad news, here comes another servant. Job, you won't believe what happened. And before that man gets done telling the sentence of what's bad and what's going wrong in Job's life, another man comes. And it's almost like blow by blow by blow, you watch a man get hit and hit and hit with bad news after bad news. But Job didn't know the circumstances. Job didn't know what was going on in heaven. All Job knew was, His world was changing, but he was faithful. And he feared God despite extremely terrible circumstances. Job stayed faithful and feared the Lord. I, I, I just can't help but think that I would love to be a man that when trials come my way, instead of saying, God, where are me? I would say, God, I can't wait to glorify you today. And Lord, if it helps you shuttle Satan up one time, I will love to take part in that adventure. Y'all remember playing in the schoolyard? Maybe in elementary school, y'all would, y'all would elect or nominate captains. You'd say, okay, TJ, you're Captain 1, and, and Zach, you're Captain 2. And then you'd all stand against the fence. And this was probably where peer pressure began. This is where insecurities began, when, when children had the ability to pick who they liked first. Amen. You stand over on that fence, and my only hope every time was, please don't pick me last, please don't pick me last, please don't pick me last, please don't pick me last. And old TJ would go, he'd say, I want Eric. And old Zach would go, I want John. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm getting closer to the last, I'm getting closer to the last, please pick me. And eventually I would get picked. But we all, did we not all want to be the first pick? You know what? Because the first pick was the guy who had the most ability. It was like, hey, I want that guy on my team because he's going to help me win. I wonder if when God is choosing to allow his children to go through difficult circumstances so that he might build their faith, I wonder if our paradigm changed and we said, God, pick me first. God, qualify me so that through that trial, I may be able to see you more clearly. I want to make sure you realize this morning that it was not until the fiery furnace that the three Hebrew children saw Jesus very clearly. 
It's usually in the valley. It's usually in that darkest moment in our life when we see God the most clearly. 1 Peter chapter 1 says this, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness and manifold temptations. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than that of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and the glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. In other words, Peter says this, Though now it seems like a burden, one day Jesus will come back and we'll see Him face to face and we'll say, Jesus, I glorified You with my life through every trial. We ought not question God's pick. If God chooses us to glorify Him, I can think of no greater way of spending your life than glorifying our precious Savior. The Bible says in Isaiah 64, But now, O Lord... Thou art the Father. We are the clay. Thou art the potter. And we are all the work of Thy hand. I wonder if we gave God just a little bit of leeway on how He wanted to mold us and how He wanted to shape us so that we could say when circumstances and bad times come, instead of saying, God, why me? Our question would change and we'd say, God, how can I glorify You now? We should not question God's person. We should not question God's pick. Finally, we're done. You say, Brother Andrew, we might beat the Methodists down to Luby's. Well, maybe. You never know. The question about God's plan. Verse 23. The thing I find so amazing about this is Moses was given access to God's mind. At the burning bush, Moses was explained, point A to point B to point C, how everything was going to happen. And Moses knew that Pharaoh was not going to let them go. God even said these words, no, not by a mighty hand. Pharaoh's not going to loosen his grip. He's going to tighten it. But regardless of all this, Moses still faced with controversy says this to God. For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil to this people. Neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. And this is the question that we get caught guilty of sometimes. We ask God, what are you even trying to do? God, where are you trying to take me? It seems like you're not doing anything beneficial for me. God, what are you even trying to accomplish through this? I want you to notice that we will always have a shortage of perspective. You notice how easily perspective changes in our life? When we're right in the middle of a valley, boy, it seems like it's the worst one ever. But on the backside of it, we look back and we say, God's grace was sufficient. I remember when I, my wife and I lost our first daughter... We went, we went through that trial, and, and honestly, it seemed like a blur. And every, Y'all were great, y'all were praying, and y'all were crying, and all that was fine. But honestly, there was a time when we just looked at each other, and we just said, What is going on? God, what are you even trying to do? But now we look back. And without the grace of God in our lives at that time, there's no way we could have gotten through it. I don't care how many of you were there to hold our hand. It was not you that got us through that. It was the Lord. 
God is always faithful in our time of need. And sometimes, if we would just get a better perspective, I'll illustrate it like this. You ever get on an airplane and you're watching the little buggy that pushes you out? Uh, They attach to the front tire and they kind of taxi you out so that you can pull uh, and you can get on the runway. Have you ever noticed that when you're in that airplane, everything looks kind of normal? The man with the with the uh, uh, glowing sticks, that's a pretty uh, real term. The glowy sticks. I bet he breaks them. What do y'all think? I bet he breaks them before he uses them. <laughs> but he has them sticks there, and he's all telling, he's doing the signs, and he's having the pilot back up, and he's telling him when it's clear to go. Everything looks normal at that point, doesn't it? But what happens when you take off? Buildings begin to look like they're not even there. At 30 or 35,000 feet, you don't even see vehicles, even though you can see interstates running under you. Everything changes. In fact, don't even mountains look smaller when you're at 35,000 feet? Well, when, at our level and on our perspective, boy, everything seems big. But when you have God's perspective, everything kind of focuses down. And God says, well, that doesn't seem like a big matter at all. And I'll help you through it the whole way. Our perspective. I remember when Gideon, uh, or God selected Gideon, the, the Moabites uh, had, or, or the uh, Midian said, really been giving Israel a hard time. And it was God's judgment on them because Israel had done evil. And every time that the Israelites, they they were actually burrowing themselves in caves. They were living in caves and and in the mountains to hide from the Midianites. And, And I remember how that the Midianites, when Israel would begin to grow a crop, as soon as it would begin to sprout, the Midianites would come and they would destroy the crop. It was like any progress that Israel began to make, the Midianites were there to just stomp it out. And God comes to Gideon and God says, in fact, an angel comes to Gideon and says, Gideon, thou mighty man of valor. What was Gideon's response? It was this. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, If the Lord be with us, then why has all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. What's amazing about our God is he already sees the exit sign when we're still looking at the entrance tunnel. And God knew how he was going to use Gideon and he was going to make him a judge and to to deliver the people. And Gideon just sat there and says, God has just forsaken us. And that's the way we oftentimes feel. Uh, We we just simply don't have a proper perspective. And secondly and finally, in every conflict and difficulty in your life, I want you to know this, and this is a fact, there will be a certainty of prosperity as long as God is on your side. The Bible says, if God is for us, who can be against us? In other words, the Bible is saying, what type of enemy can we have when God is on our side? What conflict is too great that our God cannot deliver us through it? The psalmist said it like this, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. 
Because God is with me. Understand this morning, while difficulties and trials and, and times will come that will cause you to ask God plenty of questions, understand that there is prosperity around the bend if we will just trust the Lord. Now, this morning, I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel. I'm not saying your checkbook will always be fat through every trial that you have. I'm not saying that you'll always feel comfortable through every conflict. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying like the Bible says in Romans 8.28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are called according to His purpose. God is so amazing in the fact He can take terrible situations and make them to our benefit. He can help us through them, 1 Peter 5, verse 10. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, notice this, pay attention, after ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthened, and settle you. In other words, God's already looking at how to give you the victory even when you're swinging your sword in the battle. It's an amazing thing. Oh, there's plenty of questions that arise. But I want you to understand, asking God questions is not a problem, but questioning God on who He is what He's doing, and how He's going to deliver you should never be the case because God has promised to deliver us and be good through them. I read a statistic this morning, and I think it's in 2014, 65% of Christmas gifts were gift cards. Now, I don't know about you, but I enjoy getting a gift card. I, we bought one for my brother I think we bought him a $25 or a $50 gift card one time. It was one of the Visa gift cards. So you can spend those anywhere. It, Bass Pro Shops. Uh, where's a girl store? Bells, Jock Panay. Is that, that Jock Panay? Uh, Walmart. That's a good girl store. And so, uh, you know, you can spend them literally anywhere. Starbucks, Subway, Del Frisco's. You can spend them anywhere you want. And my brother looks at that gift card and he says, Huh, I just give these to Karen. I don't even know what to do with these. And I go, Well, you're lost, fool. You can do anything with them. He gave it to Karen. But I, personally, me, I prefer gift cards. People ask me what I want. Well, cash. I accept cash checks. And soon I will be set up to take credit. I mean, just that's just me. You know why? Because nobody buys a better gift for me than me. <laughs> I look at myself and I say, Huh, this is exactly what I wanted. Thank you. And I say, You're very welcome. I just happen to know. Right? Now, now maybe you're different. Maybe you like somebody going to the store and... And stressing out down aisle four, five, six, seven, trying to figure out what to get you in the right color and the right size. That's another question we shouldn't ask our husbands. But, uh, you know, you, you maybe you like that, but me personally, just give me the gift card or the cash. But when it comes to God, did you know you can trust Him? We, we, generally want the gift card or the cash because we don't fully trust that that person can give us exactly what we want. But you 
can absolutely trust that God will not only give you what you want, but He will always exceed our expectations. The Bible even says, unto Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ever ask or think. You understand, while sometimes we want to limit God, if we would just say, God, however, whenever, whoever you want me to have in this trial, Lord, that's what I'll face. Because as long as you're in control and I'm not, it will always work out for my good and for your glory. The Bible says, 1 Peter 5.10, Who hath called us by His eternal glory. Listen. After ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Questions are never wrong. But one thing you can always rest on is, God always has your best intentions at heart. And He wants you to be successful. He wants you to be victorious. In fact, the Bible even says this, He hath made us conquerors, more than conquerors, through Christ. This morning, questions aren't in of themselves wrong. But three questions you ought never have to ask is saying, God, are you, why are you doing this? We should never have to ask, God, why are you doing this to me? And we should never have to ask this. Well, God, I don't even see an end. What are you doing? Because God always promises to be good through every trial. 